What do you think, Mike? You want a drink? No, thanks. Scotch ain't good enough? Oh, I knew a guy like you once. Thought he was better than everybody else. That's it, ain't it, Mike? Huh? You think you're better than me, don't you? Why don't you just blow me? Episode 81 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. Make sure to visit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. And if you're interested, I have a book coming out in October, a novel called Nova Byzantium. It's available through Mask Books, M-A-S-Q-U-E Books. So go over there and check it out. Can we uh, pre-order it? No, <laughs> pre-ordered on Kindle. It's not a you know it's not a bad idea. I one of the, one of the publishing industries, video games. What they like to do is they really like to get people to pre-order games. And the way they do it is they usually have like a, a a pre-order bonus or like a collector's edition that you can get if you pre-order it with like a map or something. Oh, in it. so okay. maybe uh, is there some sort of map? Maybe is there some research materials that's in your in your notes? For the book, that or maybe some sketches you did of the characters, you put it in a little booklet, you make it a bonus pack, you mail it out, you get some pre-orders in. If you pre-order it, I will call you personally, and we can have an hour-long chat on my dime. How about that? But can you pre-order it? No. <laughs> I don't oh, okay. pre-order like a digital Kindle version. I mean, we're not going to run out of electrons, so I think we're okay. They do the same thing with downloadable video games. It's about getting early hype and getting big oh. sales numbers at the beginning. Which is always okay. really important for publishing industry because it always coincides with your media push, which is almost the most expensive part of publishing. Uh, yeah, and uh, I, I'm feeling my way through that. I haven't really heard anything from the publisher about plans for marketing or if they've even queried me like, hey, how are you going to market your own book? Nobody's talked to me about it. Uh, so part of being published is just having the marketing engine underneath you. And that's uh, a big part of it. When you're self-published, you have none of that. But with uh, established publishers, they that's part of the package they offer an author is some of that review potential being part of a vetted process. They put stuff out that's uh, quality. So if you're buying through a, a publisher, you know, hey, this has been vetted by people in the industry and I'm pretty positive I'm, I'm going to enjoy this more than a poorly written self-published kindle book that doesn't have any copy editing or is all full of grammatical mistakes and all that good stuff so it's just that's kind of part of it but myself i don't quite know how to do it myself i can't do book signings because i don't have a book to sign so (laughs) i don't know what i'm gonna do (laughs) there must be once you get the cover set up there must be some way to get books printed or well no not really i mean the thing was is if it's an actual paper book i can go solicit independent bookstores in seattle to go carry my book and and uh you know under like the local authors section or something like that a lot of local bookstores do that you know, local authors and then uh your book will sit there and they'll have a couple copies of it and they'll order a couple copies of it uh, but there's none of that with a Kindle book, so uh, I don't I don't know what to do. Mask is going to be doing all the formatting. It seems like, and because the cost of uh, print-on-demand publishing is not as bad as it used to be, it seems like Mask should be able to get, get a format to you that you could send off to an on-demand printer, print up a few dozen of these just to go take to book signings. might be a way to do advertising on your own. It seems like maybe, maybe at the beginning you've got to go out there and hump it on your own yourself a little bit like go to a convention or two the only thing i was thinking to get some buzz up is to put out one of my other books that my agent hasn't signed up for i have a book that's basically mine that's not represented and putting together a a self-published package that's free as like a loss leader on amazon Uh, there's ways to distribute free fiction and you could put that i could put that out there 
and say, hey, here's a free book by me, and then they would read it, and if they liked it, then there's a possibility that they would go ahead and pay five bucks for another book of mine through a publisher. Yeah, you might want to run it by your publisher. I mean, they'd probably be interested if you wanted to get it on the hump. They might have some tips on how you can help out. Not sure. Anyway, I can't imagine. I can't imagine they wouldn't want to talk to you if you wanted to go do some signings or stuff on your own dime. I can't imagine they would discourage you from that. I'll sign your Kindle with a Sharpie right across the screen. How no, about I that? think printing up a few dozen copies would be great. Well, we'll Just see. for buzz purposes. Uh, show news. Uh, I'm having a baby soon. Uh, so we're going to try to double up and make sure we stay on our weekly schedule. No guarantees. So there may be a week where we're not here. And that could be coming up shortly. But we will be back on air, so to speak, afterward. Uh, my The due date is the 9th, August 9th. So in and around there, we may we may not have a freshie out for you on Monday. I don't know. It depends. Or maybe so. we'll put out one of our classic episodes. Yes, a remix. <laughs> a remastered. Uh, a remastered. I don't know. Or we could just do a bonus episode where I could... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we could just talk about nonsense for an hour without any content at all. We just smoke a doobie. Mark and I have been known to talk about nonsense for hours on end. Smoking the doobie parts debatable. We just we usually each fall asleep at night talking to each other on the phone. We do. I yeah. love it when we call each other at the same time. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, usually is uh, about an hour or two of uh, texting before that and then we just can't you can't take it anymore we just got to call each other you know so uh the movie this week uh red rock west released in 1993 a quick plot rundown when a promised job for texan michael fails to materialize in wyoming mike is mistaken by wayne to be a hitman he hired to kill his unfaithful wife suzanne Mike takes full advantage of the situation, collects the money, and runs. During his getaway, things go wrong and soon get worse when he runs into the real hitman, Lyle. So uh, this film occupies a very special place in my heart. And Well, that was a nice synopsis. I'm sorry to I know. in there. You're, Did you write that yourself? No, no. You're just I, – I go for the shortest synopsis. Uh, you yawn and, and, and moan about the long ones and uh, – I've gone for conciseness now. That was so. nice. I like that one. Yeah. No, you can thank uh, Rob Hartle, who submitted that via IMDb. Oh, Rob. He's a good guy. <laughs> so uh, I keep wondering if Red Rock West was one of the reasons I chose to go to graduate school in uh, the great state of Wyoming, like no place on earth. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it definitely – it could almost be put out by the Wyoming Tourism Board, even though none of these, none of the shots in this film were actually filmed in Wyoming. Which oh, they is, weren't. It seemed no. too warm. Uh, it was filmed. That's the town was Wilcox, Arizona, which is in oh. the southwestern corner. Uh, some of the other shots were in Montana, and I don't know. Oh, where they had the mountains. Yeah, I don't really know where in Montana it was filmed. I tried looking that up. They look like the Rockies. Yeah, it's all the Rockies. Rockies stretch from New Mexico all the way up to British Columbia and on. So it's a big, obviously a big mountain range. Are it's, there it's rock? A, can you can you see the Rocky Mountains from Wyoming? I guess you can. You're in the Rocky Mountains. It's a Rocky Mountain state. Rocky yeah, Mountains right. are uh, a series of ranges that exist in basically that continental belt from Mexico all the way up into Canada. So the one that we always think of as being the Rockies, quote-unquote, are the Rockies in Colorado, which is actually the front range. They call it the front range. I, when, I think of, when I think of the Rockies, I picture myself in Denver, and you can just look up at that edifice of the Rocky Mountains just rising straight up into the air. And most people, that's what they think of, but the Rockies, and they're, that's called the front range of Colorado, which is a mm. range in the Colorado Rockies, so... So what's the range in uh, Wyoming called? Is that the Tetons? No, the Tetons are separate, right? Well, there's the Tetons, there's the Wind Rivers, there's the Medicine Bow, there's the Bighorn. Uh, those are all ranges within the Rocky Mountains. Okay. So what what is the what is the uh, what's the tourist board saying for Wyoming? Fags stay out. Is that hey. it? Or they... No, just uh, 
It's no place on earth. <laughs> like no right? place on earth. Is that is that what that's what you said? Is that really the motto? It is. Like okay. no place on earth. You drive in and it's an interesting state motto because it's not necessarily positive or negative. It's just stating almost a fact, like no place on earth. Like the moon is like no place on earth, right? So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not on earth. <laughs> right. So Wyoming is, is inviting and comforting as the surface of the moon. Yeah, well, it's a great tagline. I always really thought it was appropriate, like no place on earth. Uh yeah, that's that's a great that's a great line. It's not like the best place on earth or better than where you just came from place on earth. It's just like no place on earth, good or bad. Wyoming sort of struck me as a state where there should be some crazy a fundamentalist religious sect hanging out. But I never I never heard is there is there been any stories of a like a David Koresh type group hanging out in Wyoming? Uh, no, because Wyoming is a very pragmatic state, although mm. it is extremely right wing. And it's pragmatic. I don't think there's just enough density of people to get anything mm. crazy going. Uh, they're just all spread out. They're too busy mining coal or ranching or, uh, I don't know. what. Is there, is there oil in Wyoming? There's oil. Like uh, okay. you see in the film there where Michael goes you could be a rough oil rig. Yeah. Uh, there's okay. actually, I think there's quite a bit of oil there. Coal is its big export. Yeah. Uh, the the coal in the Bighorn Basin, I think, has enough coal in there to supply the energy needs of the United States for like the next two hundred years. It's just a no, shit ton good. of coal. And, so we're going to turn Wyoming into a big open pit mine. Yeah, it's kind of well, nobody'd really notice to be honest. <laughs> I don't know. Most of that's mined up by Devil's Tower in uh, this horrible mining town called Gillette, Wyoming. And I've been through it a couple of times. It's it's definitely like no place on earth. It's, uh, it's the best it's a Walmart town. Get. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, no, there's oil. So you see this, and actually, there was an uh, Wyoming oil company called Sinclair, and they their mascot was a dinosaur, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> there was a Sinclair refinery in the town of Sinclair, which is near Rollins, in the part southeast corner of the state where I. I went to school. Uh, gas there was dirt cheap. I, I, I think it's kind of funny because Michael pulls into the gas station and he has five bucks in his wallet. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, it's like fill her up. And he's like, no, five dollars. And I was like thinking about how far you could get on five dollars back in 1993 with a Cadillac. Uh, I remember when I moved there, you could get gas for almost under a buck a gallon. Wow, that's amazing. And it was like 95 octane. I, I haven't. There's no 95 octane in the entire state of Washington where we live. I think you can get 92 or 93. Well, considering how cheap gas was in 93 in Wyoming specifically, it's amazing that it cost them nearly thirty dollars to fill the tank in that enormous Cadillac. That must have had a huge bottomless tank. Do you, what it was like, 25 gallons or something? Yeah, it must have been 25, 30 gallons. Jesus a giant V8 Christ. in a white Cadillac. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> That's like a, a serious reservoir of, of gas. Uh, so, yeah, this movie, I it does capture Wyoming, even though it's not actually filmed in Wyoming, but it definitely captures that emptiness that's important and uh, accentuated by the great guitar work, which I just love in this movie. And I think the music is probably one of the, uh, significant components that add uh, atmosphere to this hmm. neo noir film, and I don't know. Did you? Did you? Well, I, I, you, you mentioned that? that. I just, I don't remember the music at all. I, I guess it, maybe it just, maybe it was so subtle that uh, it didn't, uh, it didn't stand out to me especially. I mean, I thought the music was reserved. It is, but it's like a lonely western slide guitar. And it's it's like the same rift kind of over and over again with some minor changes. Uh, but it, it kind of has like this weird sort of windswept sound to it. I don't know. It's hard to describe. Well, I do like the opening scene where he's sleeping in his car. Is there music during that scene? Yeah. He's uh, 
he's on he's sleeping off of the 487 and mm-hmm. i've actually drove the 487 uh and the some of the inspiration for j- this movie uh j- from john Dahl was he i think he was driving from like billings where he used to live down to denver to pick up his sister or take her to college or something like that and so yeah. he drove through wyoming and took a shortcut which you can do from casper down through laramie to fort collins and you go on the 487, which then changes to the 287 in Medicine Bow and then goes into Laramie. But it is a lonely road. It I don't know how long it is. I want to say it's a good 150 miles like any road in Wyoming. And uh, that opening scene, that's about it. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's empty. It's just pasture. It's just range, uh, ranch land with the mountains in the distance and not a lot of traffic. And there's, I think, from Casper to Laramie, I think there's like two towns. And Medicine Bow is one of them, which I've been through, which I think was sort of what John Dahl was going for in kind of the look and the feel of Red Rock. But it is a two-horse town. Uh, it had like an inn, a gas station, and you're, and you're just you're like at the one intersection in the town, and you're like, what the fuck do people do here? What are you doing out here? Uh it's crazy. I mean, it's yeah, what, so what lonely. What do people do? They're into their own shit, man. They just, uh, you know, uh, you go to the the bar, and uh, I don't know. You do what you what you see some of the folks in this film doing, which uh, is kind of living the the Western ideal. I think it captures the mood and the look and the feel of Wyoming really well. Uh, obviously this movie had to be filmed in August because it's the only time it really rains in Wyoming, maybe July and August. The rest of the time it's just snowing and blizzarding. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only yeah, time were, where... We're, we're a couple of thunder showers. I mean, I remember I got caught in a really nasty uh, rain shower in Wyoming one of the times I was out there. Yeah, Mark came out and visited a couple of times. Uh, I don't know. I guess you were bored. I don't know why. You, you came out once during like the winter. Yeah, that, that was, was cold. cold Jesus shit. fucking Christ. <laughs> and then you came out in the summertime once, which is a little bit better. Well, yeah. it's early 20s time where you don't got too many irons in the fire. Sort exactly. Of exactly. So, uh, and just a little little bit of trivia from Matt is uh, I lost my virginity in Wyoming. So there you go. Oh, yeah. and that's sweet. By a Midwestern girl who was not what she seemed, just like Suzanne in the film. The oh, West. really? Mm, yeah. That's the best yeah. kind of sex. No, it wasn't. Unfortunately, she wasn't uh, a fugitive from law. She was just uh, not. Oh, hold on just a second. Are we not? Ta- are we not talking about lady boys here? <laughs> that's what. <laughs> no, that's that's the no. That's a more subtle. Uh, oh, I don't more know. Would you rather right? have? Uh, a girl you were involved with be a lady boy or a fugitive from justice lady boy uh, <laughs> anyway the casting in this film nick cage stars the bewildered michael yeah but i think more so more than bewildered just sort of a dumb shit he is really dumb he is super <laughs> dumb yeah and he's really he, dumb he's uh he has this weird code of morality uh that he has to do the right thing. That that's that wouldn't be right. You know, he's always yeah. into saying that it wouldn't be right. And uh, yeah, uh, and uh, marriage is not a state of mind in Texas. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get some of that inserted into it. Uh, so he is driven by a folksy morality. I guess it's a little folksy. Yeah, it is. It is sort of that folksy uh, working class mindset where it's all about being honest and doing honest so, day's work. So the, the the two times in this film uh, where he is honest and does the right thing, uh-huh. he fucks himself over royally. And the first one is when is he's Is it at, only two times? Well, okay. it's so more let, than that. Let, well, let me point out the two, the first two. And the first two is when he's at the oil rig. And he uh, cops to having a bum knee, which doesn't really seem like he does have much of a. Bu- He's not limping. He just like, yeah. I don't. I, I guess I don't easily. understand the situation. I mean, he he has a bad knee. He probably blew. He, it was an injury from war. But when he has his brace on and everything's okay, he gets around fine. Yeah. So why would it be such a big fucking deal 
to the oil company that he had a knee that he just had to be careful with and keep his brace on properly. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know what oil rig work is like, but well, it's uh, physical, for sure. Yeah, but to be sure, unless he's like running through an arroyo filled with uh, dead, dead, deadfall, I think he's uh, oh, he would probably have been okay working out on that oil rig, you know. Uh, yeah, it's really weird. It doesn't make much sense to me. So anyway, maybe he was asked a direct question. Do you have any injuries that could make your, you know, uh, working here a problem? And he had to say, oh, I got this. You knee. better keep this oil rig ADA compliant because I'm going to be in a wheelchair <laughs> half the time. So I want a ramp. That's right. And I need one of those uh, Hoyer lifts to get around uh, up around the drilling rig. Because when you're working blue collar work in Wyoming, it's all about safety. It's know? all about proper rail height. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's, he, he does that and then he doesn't get the job and he's broke. He doesn't even take any cash from the from the buddy that thought he could get him on there. Uh, yeah. He's like, no thanks, I'm okay, and has $5 in his wallet. And then the second time, uh, he makes a series of poor decisions after that, but then the second time uh, is when he hits the ranch hand, uh, Suzanne's, uh, I guess, he kind of looks like something out of a romance novel when he pops out of that that uh, oh, with the shirt uh, trailer. Off? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, she has shot him because he was she was he was catching on to their uh, secret life. Oh, she shot him. Yeah, didn't didn't you catch that part? I didn't catch that Suzanne had shot him. Yeah, where, was, where is that revealed? Uh, it's revealed, I believe. Uh, I forget. It's after the office scene where they're hiding in the closet and. Uh, uh, jt walsh's character comes in and there's some point where like it uh after that point where it's revealed mm. i can't forget if it's in the back of the car or exactly where it's revealed i always wonder how that shooting went down so this the bow i, I don't i didn't catch i don't remember catching his name the ranch hand yeah. the ranch hand is on the side of the road with his old ford truck that has its wheel off so he, he must have been because it had a flat tire or something right you get Pretty that sure impression, right? Pretty yeah. sure it's on a jack. And he jumps out in front of the car, and I can understand if he got shot and he was desperate. But how exactly did he get out there with two bullets in him and his truck on a jack? That's Just a to question. jump out at the right exact time. It was a needed plot device because you needed to go along with it, I guess. Yeah. You needed Look, to. The truth is this movie's got a bunch of plot holes in it. They're not it's okay. That no, bad I'm not trying holes. to be. I'm not trying to be hard no, on you. That's all right. But it's got the, right. It's got. It plays a little fast and loose with credulity from time to time. Sure, sure. Not that it uh, doesn't keep a, the proper atmosphere and have some. The characters are really nicely drawn. It doesn't all fit together. It's not the perfectly. Uh, it's not a perfectly designed and executed puzzle of a noir movie. Well, and I think part of that is that it's big reveals wash away some of that minutiae some of that plot hole minutiae yeah and uh you know i mean it doesn't explain it and that's fine and i i think that worked uh, but it so is pretty this, funny is when he but he has to he has to be honest and take the guy in yeah to the hospital but you know be quite honest with you it, even if you wanted to clear out of town because you screwed some son of a bitch out of five thousand dollars in 93 yeah really if you hit somebody on the road it'd be It'd be quite a moral quandary to leave them there to die. Well, you right? get the scene right. You get the scene where he's looking in the rearview mirror, and it's 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 I think a greatly act I mean, that that's a amazing acting job that Nick Cage is doing there. And you can just see the 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 anguish that yeah. that you know he's looking in the rearview mirror and he's looking down and he's like just it's like oh you can see the choices laid out for him uh-huh. and he knows what he's gonna do. He like knows what he has to do. But it's one of those moments where you just wish it hadn't have happened like instantly. It's like, oh, God, I wish I just hadn't have done that. Yeah. Uh, I wish, why the fuck did that happen? You yeah. know, so. Uh, but in a he, sense, I couldn't really fault him for making that decision. Well, you you didn't know that the guy was shot. I mean, if he was already bleeding out anyway, yeah. you'd be like, oh, fuck him. But, uh, you, you know, you, you no, you'd be back. tough to say, oh, fuck him. Just some random guy on the street. I don't know if any could either of us really do that. I mean, he might he certainly could have made a better effort to get the fuck out of town after he dropped the guy off. 
Right, right. Yeah, anyways, he does the right thing and even fills out the form strangely well, I in the think hospital. He, I, I don't know if he's actually filling it out more than just doodling, waiting for a chance oh. to get out of there. Right, and so he uses the excuse that his car is parked in the red and he was going to move it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, then that's when... Uh, Perfectly bad timing again when the two yeah, right. cops walk in. <laughs> I mean, he's got that first like half hour of the movie, it's just bad luck. I mean, just yeah. like every way he turns, luck goes the opposite direction. I mean, he, right. just, he just can't catch a break for like the first hour of the film. Well, okay, so there's another there's another part where he makes he does the right thing and and it may, it turns out to be a bad choice, and that's when he goes out and informs Suzanne that uh, her uh, Wayner wants to have her shot. He could have just taken the money and just bailed out of town. But he actually says, no, I got to go inform this woman that her husband's going to kill him or kill her. And he goes out to the ranch house and does all that. Well, I mean, he, he threw a, an amazing bit of acrobatics and finally some luck. He manages to make it out of Wayne's place with oh, yeah, yeah. Dennis Hopper yeah. and, the Way- and Wayne looking for him. And he ends up on top of Dwight Yoakam's truck, oh, which I thought was really great. Oh, I is, always like Dwight Yoakam. Dwight Yoakam's awesome. He's probably the only uh, country and Western singer that I could tolerate. Uh, I don't like country and Western at all. But uh, like that song at the end, A Thousand Miles From Nowhere, it's like one of Dwight's better songs. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, he has a sense of humor about him and he – He's actually a pretty good actor. He's been in uh, oh yeah uh, some decent movies like Sling Blade. He was terrific as mm-hmm. the yeah, uh, he's a very abusive father, and uh, even bit parts like this one. Uh, he just has that. I don't know. He has the look. Like you definitely believe this guy is a truck driver from Sheridan, Wyoming, when he gets out. And I guess that was uh, Dwight's own pistol. <laughs> he oh, was it? <laughs> yeah. Does that tickle? Because it will if I pull the trigger or something. You know? <laughs> oh, look at that. It's just a natural reaction to hearing bullshit. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, I wonder how much it's, of that was written and how much of he uh, ad-libbed. I, I have to believe he ad-libbed some of that. Con- it was a great know. conversation where he's letting uh, he's letting Michael just spin a bullshit tale for him, and he ends up being entertained enough to let the guy off. Yeah. No, he knows it's, it's crap, but uh, there's sort of an understanding there. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that line, I mean, that's like he must have used that at some point. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's it's or been around enough people that use that line. Yeah, they had uh, somebody drew a gun on him and used it. Yeah. <laughs> you can't imagine that Dwight Yoakam had that experience. But that's one of the main one of Michael's main bad decisions to go back to the ranch house toward Suzanne. I mean, you know, he know he already knows that she's a son of a bitch. She gave him Five thousand dollars. She gave him five thousand dollars to kill Wayne. Yeah, I mean, in his book, why can't he write her off as a a despicable person? Uh, because he needs some of that hot Laura Flynn Boyle pussy. Yeah, she was hot back then. Then she lost all this weight. I think she got anorexic. I'm pretty sure. She got, I think she did a bunch of uh, plastic surgery, too. Oh. Well, she then looks she was, really weird now. Yeah, she, when she was dating Jack Nicholson, whenever that was, I want to say it was like in the mid-90s after this, uh, she got anorexic or something and started looking terrible and dressing really oddly. And um, I'm trying to figure out if she's she's gotten back to uh, anything resembling a career. And I'm looking at her stuff now, and she's been working TV and stuff, so she must not be. Maybe she got some help. I don't know. But for a while, she was looking pretty. Oh, she was weird. in the 2011 comedy Cougar Hunting. Oh, really? and uh, the sub, one of my the sub, favorites. the, the uh, subtitle for that is "It's Cougar Time in Aspen." <laughs> wow, man! Well, let's put that up as our next. Uh, That'll be our film, next I movie. Think, or, yeah, that uh, sounds like a winner. <laughs> Wow. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, but she was, uh, I think this was like after Twin Peaks, which finished up in, I want to say, 92 or something like that. And she was, she was on there. Um, but, yeah, she was definitely in her prime at this point. And mm-hmm. uh, she, uh, that's, that's the, here's where she's saying she's in her prime. That's one of my main disappointments for this film. 
the sex scene was not hot enough. Wasn't hot enough, huh? No tits. No uh, obscured grinding, you know? <laughs> no obscured thrusting, you know, behind like, you know, with like a potted plant. I, I, you mean you it know, didn't this have... Is a rated, this is a rated R movie, and you don't see uh, Laura Flynn Boyle's tits? You were looking for maybe sort of a, a, a Highlander-style European uh, affected sex scene? Is that what you were looking for? Yeah, I was looking for a standard, you know, rated R movie simulated sex scene. And this I didn't the, get it, and I was really disappointed. This is the second podcast in a row where Mark has criticized the lack of uh, reveal in a sex scene that we've watched. You wanted to oh, yeah, see... I, uh, uh, you want to see Faye Dunaway's boobs in Chinatown? Yeah, she had and, a gr- fucking awesome rack, and you don't yeah. see it. It's just and, really disappointing. If, I mean, if, the, if two characters are going to have sex, and you're going to be in the bedroom with them, let's see them have sex. I don't want to see them crawling over each other with their bra still on, which nobody does when they have sex. Uh, the first thing well, you do if, before you have sex is you get naked. That's like step one. All right, let's have sex first. Get naked. I think movies get away with it because uh, they're so such in the heat of the pa- heat of the moment with passion that they just can't they can't even take the time to get the clothes off. You know, they're just they're just half clothed going at it. Seems much more. Uh, it's a nice. What's the right word? It's a serendipitous uh, uh, thing for movie makers because they like see how passionate they are. They can't even get their clothes off, and we don't have to show you any boobs, so we don't have to deal with uptight uh, uh, must have been and on actresses. And it must have been in her, her contract that she wouldn't have to get totally naked. Very disappointing. And, Very disappointing. Yeah. And no brown M and M's. That was in her rider. Brown M. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah she, had a, she had a complicated r- rider. That's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, she maybe had too many body insecurity issues. If she went anorexic for a while, that would definitely be. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so Mark's disappointed. Well, I think Nick Cage doesn't mind showing his ass every now and then. So it probably wasn't. I didn't. Even, I didn't even get to see Nick Cage's ass. I know. He threw me a bone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark. Critical of the comfort in uh, sex scene as a comfort in. Those aren't those places aren't that attractive anyway. Although that was kind of a sultry looking hotel room for a comfort in. Where were we? What were we talking about? Well, I think as far as in this, we're sort of just sort of mowing through the storyline as it is. Well, in looking I mean, well, we're talking at about, the poor decision making of Michael. Well, th- th- this story's sort of about Michael and the his his kind of corrupted moral code, and then you have it juxtaposed to the uh, low self-esteem Dennis Hopper hitman character Lyle from Dallas, who uh, is <laughs> That's like, right. personally affronted when uh, Michael refuses, uh, doesn't needs to get on with things because his car broke down. He's like, you too good to have a drink with me? You don't want to come drink? Like, it's a weird low self-esteem moment for Lyle. And then there's that clip at the beginning where we hear uh, you know, Lyle goes like, oh, I knew a guy like you. Like, like, what are you still hanging on to your moral code for? Uh, why don't you get more pragmatic about reality? And you get sort of like those two, I guess those two juxtaposed characters. You get, you know, uh, Lyle and you get Michael. And they're both Marines and they're both from Texas. So there's parallels there. Uh, but like the situation they've gotten themselves into is pretty much on the same ragged moral line, you know, although Michael isn't killing anybody for money, which is sort of the, 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 the big uh, difference there. Um, yeah. It is interesting when you're talking about that and late in the movie, when Lyle uh, says to Michael, you know, I bet you're wondering how you got hooked up with a bunch of losers like us. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And he says, that's because you're a thief. And I guess and you true. wouldn't be here if you weren't. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, which uh, speaks of a desperation because Michael is desperate. So maybe that's how he's quantifying uh, his decision making a little bit. Uh, well, would you, if people. you were lost in the middle of Wyoming <laughs> yeah. with oh, an empty been. gas tank. Yeah, I've been there. Would you consider maybe, you know doing some 
crimes of convenience to get the fuck out of the state? Well, there's there's the first uh, that first moral quandary is when he's like eyeing the open cash register in the gas station. You know, he like sees like the the the, the money kind of sticking out and thinking about how quickly uh, it would take just to grab it and run. Yeah. So he's already at that point. It's not you know how desperate he is, and uh, you get the impression it wouldn't be a lot of money to get him out of town or to get him. He just kind of wants to be. Maybe where he was two or three weeks ago, money-wise. Uh, doesn't need a lot. Uh, but he is desperate. And so uh, when you're desperate, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll try to find victimless, like a victimless crime. That, and that's kind of where he's at. And so uh, two people that want to kill each other, mm-hmm. taking their money, isn't any – it's not like he's stealing from – anybody's children or anything and i think that's how he's justified it and that's fine but i just know why he doesn't pull the trigger to get out of town he has two solid opportunities just to cut and he doesn't take them when he's on the first one the truck and when he's got the full tank of gas in the in the um jeep yeah, he doesn't. He instead goes to the gets drunk, goes to the comfort inn, and fucks Laura Flynn Boyle. Look, oh, it'd be, and then we she all talks like him into Laura Flynn Boyle, and then she talks him into going to Wayne's office, the belly of the beast, the next day mm-hmm. to get more money so they can go down to Mexico. And he's like, "Fuck Mexico!" <laughs> there yeah. she's going. I was like, "We can still be together. We can still go to Mexico." And he's like, "Fuck Mexico!" <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, another thing is that after he gets the initial five hundred thousand dollars from Wayne, he could have just left town. But for yeah. some reason, he goes to the ranch to talk. Well, that's to his Suzanne moral code again because he has to warn her. That yeah, she's going to get killed. Right. Yeah, and then uh, he gets the. The, the the five thousand dollars from her and he's like fuck them both i'm now really getting out of town and that's yeah. the joke of the that's the kind of the joke of the film is you get leaving red rock enter, yeah, and enter, entering back. red rock leaving red rock it's like a purgatory uh a limbo that he can't shake uh based on a few poor decisions it's a bad luck. I love it how he ends up back in Wayne's bar later that night after being oh, hunted yeah. by Wayne. Just cracks That's me right. up. And Dennis Hopper will not let him not go in there and buy him a drink. Yeah, because he has hilarious. such low self-esteem. He's like, what's wrong with you? Why won't you have a drink with me? And I've been around cats like that uh, <laughs> that like demand your attention. And you're like, you know, I don't really feel like having a drink or whatever right now. So like, you're going to drink. What's wrong with you? And then you sort of get that machismo element. Comes like, well, I guess I'll go have a drink, you know. So, uh, yeah, he, it, the Dennis Hopper character is amazing. There's so many great performances in this, like Dennis Hopper, playing Dennis Hopper, but uh, he there's a subtle twist on it that's different than like his Frank Booth character. He's still crazy motherfucker, uh, but he plays up that, um, I don't know, that Western folksiness. I don't know, that gentlemanly Southern Texan play where it's just some of the things he says and the way he says it that's uh, really affected you know, uh, like when he's pulling Michael out from underneath his car, <laughs> he's like, like talking about his brakes getting done. It's like, I've had yeah, yeah, my yeah. brakes done. I'll be picking your brains out of my radiator. <laughs> you know, so. one person we haven't talked about that's really good in this is J.T. Walsh. Yeah, it's the late J.T. Walsh. Yeah, he died yeah. some time ago. But, yeah, uh, yeah. He, I think he really inhabits that character of Wayne really well. He sort of plays everything real close to the vest. I thought pretty nicely done. And he has uh, his eyes are searing. It's like a searing set of these blue eyes, especially when he looks up from underneath the cowboy hat uh, in the hospital, which was his idea, he, I guess. Oh, and he's he's like, the, he ends up being the uh, the sheriff. Yeah, uh, you see him, and and you you look, and he has the cowboy hat tilted down because he's looking at Michael's ID, and then he like looks up, and then that's kind of the big the big reveal you know and then there's that horrified look of nick cage you know he's like oh my god i just so don't want to be here right now that's what's gonna happen yeah there's a lot of great just looks on people's faces where they just realize that uh 
but I, I just thought you're right. It's really the performances, and I think the the nice subtle uh, guitar work soundtrack, yeah. and uh, just sort of the humor of getting stuck, just sort of like you're in orbit around the shitty little town that you just can't seem to pull out of. That yeah, really make this uh, that make this movie it's sort of charming. It is. It's uh, well, it's a neo noir, so it has all that trope familiarity with it and we you know we reviewed chinatown which is also a neo-noir but more or less completely different uh yeah but like i watched it last night i hadn't seen it in about 10 years and i have the dvd and i think it's the first time i've seen it widescreen on like an actual big uh big you know samsung tv and so it looked Uh great and i was just having so much fun watching it last night and i've seen it so many times and it just fits that that cult film niche so well because every little scene i just was looking forward to and i got turned on to this movie uh when i watched uh at the movies with siskel and ebert and they always show the clip because the clip that they showed was that crazy scene where they have to beat the train you know oh yeah (laughs) and then like dennis hopper screams and then there's like that intensity on uh uh, Nick Cage's face, and then you have Larry Flynn Boyle and J.T. Walsh in the back seat, and I'm like, "Holy shit, what the fuck's going on there? I got to go watch this movie." There's a great and, shot of Laura Flynn Boyle where they've, I think they put makeup on her, and her face is just ashen. Yeah, yeah, she does a lot of that sort of. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'll just, it's not desperation. It's just haunted. It looks like she <laughs> could pass out. <laughs> from the vapors oh my my lord i got the vapors yeah right, exactly so that's when i initially got turned on to this movie this movie didn't do well it was going to be like a straight to dvd uh kind of hbo cable film well the production value is sort of low on the film you can tell seven were, million it was sort of a bit of a yeah it was a smaller budget film that's more than i thought it would be for 93 seven million uh, then it, I think I forget uh, it's in the production history here, but then somebody decided to go ahead and show it in a f- movie theater. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, movie getting into a movie theater is kind of, I don't know, I kind of sort of equivocate it to uh, getting getting published on paper as opposed to mm. getting digitally published. It, it gives it a oh, uh, respectability, it respectability. And if it, like, just has to show in, like, one or two movie theaters, you know? It doesn't have to be, like, an, an art house. You know, it got shown in a movie theater. Well, people and, do that so their movies are released sometimes under that way, so they're eligible for Oscars. Cause yeah. Have, like, a theatrical release. And that's uh, that was one of the ways it got submitted to Sundance. Uh, oh, yeah. But I guess, or it was trying to get, somebody was trying to submit it to Sundance, but it didn't get it, uh, it didn't get. I guess pulled in, uh, but it's a small anyway. film. Yeah, it's very small, and so, but it got some legs, I guess, in sort of the art house circus, circus circuit, and then from there, it sort of collected a following uh, that uh, superseded the, I guess, the uh, straight to video market. My guess is most of the money was probably paid to get the stars in there. With yeah, Cage and it has and Boyle. She was hot at the time. Hopper's always been hot. So my guess is that a big chunk of that budget was was strictly to bring those names in. And Nick Cage, before he just went south and started taking weird, shitty roles that, uh, I don't know. This is one of the rare movies where Nick Cage is playing the straight guy. He's not crazy or addicted to drugs. Uh, and he plays it well. Yeah. And, and, I don't know, this is when he was in his prime because I don't think he could do this now. I don't think he has it in him. Uh, I, think, I don't know. Uh, Nick Cage is one of those actors that you never really know what you're going to get out of him. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a Oscar-nominated role at some point before he uh, retires somewhere. Well, the movies that he's been good in recently are ones where he, like Matchstick Men was great, and that's probably like 10 years old now. Uh, he played uh, like an OCD neurotic, somebody with some like, you know, significant mental problems. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, Drive the Angry. T- I can't drive angry. <laughs> well, there's the superhero films, and the superhero films are uh, like terrible. I don't know what he's doing in them. 
I oh, uh, you mean uh, Skull Rider or whatever? Yeah, Ghost, Rider? Hun- Ghost Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Ghost Rider. Yeah. Um, so you were going to talk about uh, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. That's good. That's a Colon, really good film. Port of Call, New Orleans. It's a Werner Herzog film. And, yeah, I, know, uh, I haven't really seen it. it. But he's also a drug addict in it, so he gets to do the drug addict things that Nick Cage does well. Yeah, and uh, leaving Las Vegas. And leaving Las Vegas. And those are kind of like where he shines is, is playing... I don't know, like fucked up people. But this one, he's just, you know, he just, I don't think he's even drunk. He's not a crazy Nick Cage character. He's just sort of the straight up. Uh, down on uh, his luck. Down on his luck guy. And he plays it really well. So it's yeah. one of his better movies. That train thing was a bad idea if you wanted to get away. Get on a train? Well, no, the beat the train. Driving. Oh. Yeah. I still don't quite understand why they were doing that. Every train in this movie seems to be only about 10 cars long. It seems like they could have just waited. <laughs> well, it was because uh, he had just shot the sheriff or one of the deputies dead in, 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 in the classic Old West looking uh, sheriff jailhouse. It was great. Like with yeah, the- but the thing is the, sh- the other police officers didn't know what car they were in. They didn't even know who they were. Why do they have to make a scene trying to beat a train? That seems like exactly the wrong thing to do. I mean, the the, the cop's going to get there, and he's going to see his partner dead. And he's going to look around. He's just going to see a bunch of cars. He has no idea who's who. Well, you can just drive was, in any direction. You, they'll never know who it is. Because it was awesome in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. That was one of the holes that sort of perplexed me that they had to beat this train for no real reason. There is like an extra like $100,000 to do a car stunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was yeah. But there was there was some reason they had that somebody decided they had to have a car scene like that in there. Right. Um, it just it, it was just one of the holes that sort of perplexed me about this film. Okay. Well, I mean, you're obviously it's not it doesn't occupy as a special place in your heart as as it does for me. I've never but seen you, it before. What? You've I've, never seen Red Rock West if, before. If I had seen it, I was high out of my gourd or drunk or something because I do not remember. The really? Plot How is it that all these movies that you have? I was taking a nap, man. Are. I was tired. Oh my god! Like yeah, it's like uh like true romance. It's like oh, this is going to be one of Mark's favorites, and then it turns out you never watched it. No, no, yeah, it's one of those movies that floated around, and but I never actually. If I if I if I saw it, I was like walking in and out of the room while it was happening. Really? Or, or blitzed out of my gourd. Well. To the point Shit. where I didn't remember it. I've seen this movie so much, like the dialogues burned into my neurons. So I, I guess I, w- you, you see, it's a very entertaining holes. movie, to be sure. Yeah, right. And uh, I thought the plotting and the idea was excellent. Oh yeah, uh, that being a mistaken for a hitman. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's been done before, although I'm sure it has. Uh, but it really works well here, and. Uh, you know, there's just some excellent screenwriting. That yeah, makes you know it's always nice plausible. when scripts are sort of recursive. It's sort of, I mean, the most obvious one is like Groundhog's Day, but this one's the way that the the script sort of turns back in on itself over and over. There's sort of these cycles: the in and out of town, the same places over and over again, the same characters right. under different scenarios. It's just very satisfying somehow. Well, and then the morality question that it, it poses, you know, this, uh, uh, what is it, misdirected morality that Michael has. And uh, I don't know. Uh, it ends Whenever well he decides him. to compromise his morality, it always works out as w- in the worst way possible. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, he gets, yeah, the fate deals him the worst hand. It's, it's like, like he's getting... Yeah, it's like if you went to a convenience store and you God, you were just starving and you really wanted to get a, a candy bar and I you didn't have any money. Yeah, and you decide, <laughs> well, you know, there's there's like nobody in the store. There's something going on outside. And oh, yeah. Go, yeah. well, you know, I'm just going to, this one time in my whole life, I'm just going to take the Snickers bar and put it in my pocket walk out. And you get caught and, and you get prosecuted to the full extent of the and law. And you get made an example of. Yeah, yeah. The judge decides <laughs> right. to make an example of you. Right. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, he's, the situation. He's like at the casino, and he's not a gambler, you know. But um, he may be desperate, and he's like, "Oh, well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm gonna gamble." 
and he just gets the worst hand dealt to him possible, mm-hmm. just like the absolute worst in in every situation. Yeah, uh, it's it's almost uh, yeah, I, it's like a purgatory. It's like fate set up to just kind of punish the shit out of him. For <laughs> God <laughs> hates know? him for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Except for he gets he's to Old he Testament to, vengeful God. Yeah, except for he gets to you know sleep with Larifel and boil for a night. So there's a little bit of a payoff there. Yeah, but she doesn't so, take her bra off. That's no. Yeah. That's well, no you kind don't of know. sex in she my mind. She could have. She might have. Mm, maybe the, those pants she was wearing were really uncomplimentary. Those like, well, those were uh, riding pants. Oh, were they? Oh yeah, no, they yeah. weren't. They were like those brown sort of. I don't know what are those. Yeah, that was a riding outfit, horse riding oh. outfit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Didn't did, didn't she could have? I don't know. Put in a dress. No, that's not really. That's really not Wyoming. I think clothes place. are the wrong direction to go when you're thinking about <laughs> <Lord> <laughs> She should have been naked through half yeah. of it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I didn't catch what bottle of scotch that uh, Lyle from Dallas was drinking in the car. Did he have like know. a case in his back seat? I think he did. Yeah, he, he had like a shit ton of scotch because he, he pulled one out and uh, it was great when he was burning down the old Douglas place or whatever it was. And. Uh, you know he's pouring pouring it on the floor, and then like the last couple of gulps, he uh, <laughs> he chugs himself, and then he tosses yeah. the bottle. Does he toss the bottle out the window? Like, why the fuck would you bother tossing it out the window? I don't. Remember. Well, he wants to keep the place tidy before. <laughs> yeah. Um. Let's just say might be on the uh, on par with Scoresby, a blended whiskey. Yeah, I don't think he was. Uh, you know, well, it's sort of that uh, Texas uh, attitude. You know, Budweiser. Like Budweiser's yeah. the beer we drink, and it's shitty and terrible. But give you know, that's me a what we beer, like. and we don't want. Yeah, we don't want anything better because uh, yeah. we're not hoity-toity. We're not mm-hmm. snobs. So I think that's probably. Yeah. Uh, so you reach, you year. drink Scotch whiskey instead of just regular American whiskey. Yeah, you think? Well, I thought he had uh, Jim Beam when he was in the bar, wasn't he? Jim, give me Jim Beam, shot him Jim Beam, bud. I was like, <laughs> well, let's see what uh, Ebert had to say about this film. I guess it's positive. Eber reviewed this back in May of 1994. Uh, it's interesting. He says that he had actually seen it a couple of years earlier on the film festival circuit, and he reiterate, reiterates what you said, expanding on it, that it did did come out on video before its theatrical release, which is sort of interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's how I um, saw it. So, Ebert starts out saying that Red Rock West is a diabolical diabolical movie that exists between a film noir and a black comedy. Yeah, and I guess it was hard to categorize, although it doesn't seem like it would have been that hard. It just seemed like, I mean, you could have called it a thriller and been done with it, right? I mean, isn't mm-hmm. that good enough? I mean, there's a huge th- thriller as a total subcategory of film. Where a whole host of of you know, disparate types of film fall into, like political thriller, uh, that kind of thing. So I I, I I thought it would just be a thriller. It and I think like it a, is largely. Yeah, yeah. Um, he says this movie is like Blood Simple or David Lynch films. It's weird because I saw Blood Simple in the theater, and I only remember hating it. Really? And maybe I'll have to see it again. Everybody I talked to just loved Blood Simple, but I fucking hated it. You know, I was still funny, do, I, but I haven't seen it since then, though. I won a copy, a VHS copy of Blood Simple, I think, with you at the Neptune Theater, and I forget what the hell for. Oh, uh, we, we went and saw a movie there, and there was some, uh, I don't know, uh, raffle or something, and I, I won it, and... Hmm. Uh, I've never I never watched it and I don't have a VCR anymore. So <laughs> yeah, I know. I think like the some of the buttons fell off of my VCR. I put it in a box some time ago. That's a Coen Gene, Brothers movie, and and you don't yeah. you didn't you didn't love it to death, huh? Blood Simple is a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, you know first. what? I'm thinking of a different film. <laughs> Sorry, forget it. Forget what I just said. Strike it from the record, So The jury will now uh, please uh, not. <laughs> Consider my previous sentences. Um, He says uh, the movie is constructed out of passion, murder, revenge, and a quirky sense of humor. Uh, Strangely, he says the movie is incredibly complicated, but easy to follow. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any that, sense. That does not make any sense. That's like when uh, people describe food as, "Ooh, it's uh, simple yet complex." Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that's uh, that's what I call a bullshit sentence. But yeah. he said, uh, talking about the actors, that they must have had a lot of fun with the material. You know, I, maybe they did. Yeah, um, I mean, it seems like it was a fun movie to make. There was an, a neat bit of insight, and especially pertinent to the character of Wayne, is that uh, Ebert says. In this movie, uh, this movie depends less on plot and more on the reactions of the characters to finding themselves in such a plot. <laughs> I yeah, I think that's true. I think I think that's why this film's great is just because the reactions are uh, so well acted. Like Nick Cage's reaction, like I described when he hits the hits the the ranch hand. Uh, you know, Dennis Hopper's sort of dismay. And uh, uh, incredulousness, and uh, you know, sort of J.T. Walsh's bewilderment. <laughs> I liked I liked Wayne's character, and he says um, he says something about Wayne. He says he desperately tries to reason reason through things in the story. He always thinks he can he can find the solution, and well, he yeah. does. And the, and the great and there's that scene in the cemetery where he goes through the sequence of events for for Lyle describing what's going to happen if he shoots somebody. You know, the caretaker will hear it, and he'll call the cops, and then you don't want that. You know, so he describes uh, sort of a logical course of action that tones down uh, the Lyle's, uh, I guess, uh, uh, impetuousness, you know. Yeah, and he's only he's only uh, and he's only thwarted from his plan. I mean, uh, J.T. Walsh's character only doesn't make it because, for some reason, uh, Dennis Hopper's character is an expert knife thrower. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and how, how can you plan for that? How do you drop a knife out of your out of your uh, out of your your coat like that? Man, when like... you're in the jungle, you do things you never knew you could. You never <laughs> it's, just, it. it's like that was that was a pretty well placed knife. Just just kind of pops it out. Uh, it's, Anyway, well, I mean, I think that uh, there's a lot of wily characters, and I think that um, Lyle's pretty wily too. The way he sort of by sleight of hand drops the clip out of his nine millimeter, and oh yeah, the, yeah. Well, the, I think everybody notices it, notices it except for uh, Suzanne, and it ends up biting her in the ass later. Right? Oh yeah, exactly. Um, let's see here. Uh, oh, he mentions that the movie was written by the director John Dahl and his brother. It's a pretty nice little piece of screenwriting. I wonder. It seems like Dahl mostly does television these days. So he does. He did another movie after this called uh, "The Last Seduction," which was another movie about an evil woman with a bag of money. And I wonder uh, if he also wrote that. Uh, I think he did. It wasn't bad movie. It was quieter than this, obviously. Uh, some of the same kind of themes. It was sort of noir. It wasn't bad. Hmm. And uh, Ebert sums it up saying, uh, "Red Rock." is a place where love is never enough of a motive for doing anything when cash is available. <laughs> and is maybe funny. that's is that that's sort of a noir trope, isn't it? Yeah, I that think so. It's 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 noir is always kind of cynical. And, and yeah, it's a pretty glowing ahead. review. I didn't mention it, but it's a four-star. Oh, I thought it was three and, is, and a half on this one. Mm, I'm looking yeah, here. Four. Uh, four. All right. Am I wrong? Yeah, I got I don't know. It's just three and a half on the one I'm looking oh, at. Oh, it does. Oh, you're right. It's weird. It yeah. looks like four for my printout, but you're right. It is three and a half. My mistake. It has a 95 percenter on uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's 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 up there. Yeah, that's pretty uh, good. That's a. I mean, Ebert's is pretty. He he leaves things to languish at three. A lot. Yeah. In his reviews, three is almost worse than zero star. I think I'd rather really have made a zero star Ebert film than a three star because no, zero star. You're there's really a lot of good movies it. that are at three. I think he, uh, a good movie is okay. a three for Ebert. I think maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to read more Ebert. Uh, one thing I did want to bring up is uh, the bullshit and horseshit get used in this get used in this uh, film, and I was trying to dissect the difference between horseshit and bullshit. Mm. Uh, I say horseshit a lot and Rose gets upset with me and I don't know why. I think that's because she's a horse lover and somehow she thinks it's denigrating to the species. <laughs> I don't know. But but horseshit and bullshit are are too they seem like it's too interchangeable 
words, but they do mean something different. And I'm always at a struggle to figure out what the difference between horseshit and bullshit is. So you get the the, the scene with uh, Dwight Yoakam and his, uh, you know, his what was it reaction to bullshit. You know, you're bullshit me, this bullshit, you know, and there's there's that. And then there's horseshit when he's in the when Nick Cage is in the back of the car with Lara Flynn Boyle and he's like, Why don't we just cut the horse shit? And I I was trying to like what, what okay, what's the big difference? Because we use bullshit way more than horse shit, but every now and then there's an instance where you have to say horse shit. And horse shit is like I wanna call it like contrived bullshit or maybe more nefarious bullshit. Bullshit with a uh, agenda, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know if you've ever thought hmm. about it, but it's I never, something that I've, I've never. Maybe it has to do with the actual form the shit takes. I mean, you've seen uh, cattle shit from cattle, which I guess is going to be kind of called bullshit, and shit from horses. Horse shit. It seems like it's has more grass in it. Well, I'm not talking about the literal. I'm not talking about. <laughs> That's not what I'm getting at. Uh, like I don't know. I don't know what direction to go in here. I've never really considered it. No, I, it's just a, like it's weird. It's like this. Uh, like I know when to say horseshit and I know when to say bullshit, but the rules aren't really clear cut. And I, the only thing I can think of is is that horseshit is merely bullshit with an agenda. And so. Uh, that's all I got. Anyway, I I, I I I was pondering that last night. So, and and uh, how good antelope steak tastes because there was an antelope head on the wall in the uh, sheriff's office, and uh, antelope are ubiquitous in Wyoming, and you can hunt them. And I've had antelope steak, and uh, antelope's really good. It's 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 a nice meat. How the hell did we get there? I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of how the hell did we get there, we're going to ask ourselves that question next week. How the hell did we end up watching this movie? Well, Mark decided for his weird pick that he wanted to do a uh, Hong Kong style Kung Fu movie. So he goes, well, what movie should we do? And I go, well, you know what they say. There's a great Hong Kong director, sometimes sometimes referred to as the godfather of Hong Kong cinema, Cheng Che. And Cheng Che did a zillion movies. Or, <laughs> okay. And um, one of the movies that people talk about sometimes is one of his big, one of his better films is called The Five Deadly Venoms or The Five Venoms. It's a uh, action uh, rock'em sock'em kung fu movie from 1978. And uh, certainly it's described as a uh, cult movie here and there. And so I decided, what the fuck? Let's watch it and see what happens. And All that's right. what we're doing. I, I- I, I was thinking you would have gone more for a Bruce Lee movie like uh, The Fists of Fury or is that his? I don't know. Whatever. the um, One of those. Yeah, but, uh, you know, there's Bruce Lee and all that shit. You know, the thing is, I want to sometimes sort of set some outlier movies that are sort of push all of our expectations and ideas and teach us something new about cinema and give us like, right. a, I think it works out sometimes. I think it worked out really well with Cholet. It gave us a, a sort of a benchmark, a mile marker. That uh, a place where we can hang out and feel comfortable way over there in uh, Bollywood, and maybe a place for later in our lives more appreciation of those uh, those types of movies. So I want to put a little another mile marker out there beyond where my normal lamppost sheds light, uh, the place I can maybe start to appreciate Hong Kong cinema from. Okay, well, uh, the Five Deadly Venoms you can't get it on Netflix, so uh, I don't know how our viewers are gonna. Grab a copy of it. <laughs> I got, I got, I got mine from Scarecrow. Oh yeah, yeah everybody! So. If you're in Seattle, drop by Scarecrow and uh, pick up the single copy that Mark hopefully has returned by now. And, uh, <laughs> no, that's right, it's sitting on my desk watch right it. now. <laughs> okay, so yeah. um, well, they have it on Blu-ray there at Scarecrow Video too. Oh yeah. So what I'm, so, I'm trying to see if I'm trying to see how low we can get our download numbers for any particular sh- episode. <laughs> Yeah, Mark's Mark's uh, going for a record. Uh, well, we're already setting weekly records with our download numbers uh, in the opposite direction, anyway. So <laughs> I don't think it'll be much of a much of a feat. I, I don't know what our least downloaded podcast is. I know what our most downloaded podcast yeah. is. Uh, I think The Shining and Caligula are, are yeah. really running up there, uh, which is one of our earlier podcasts. 
but the ones I think would be really popular sometimes aren't. Like I thought War Games would have really gotten a lot of downloads, didn't get a lot of downloads. Uh, but I don't know what our, our sad least downloaded podcast. Maybe I'll bring that up in the next. It'd be uh, fun to do like um, one of the uh, – uh, was vampire movie set in forks. I bet we'd get a lot of downloads. Oh, we should consider doing one of those. Uh, that's too much like uh, MSTK 3000 or whatever. I, I don't feel good about doing movies that I know we can just kind of beat the shit out of and uh, despise, you know. So. Yeah, we really haven't done that. I mean, I, I put some far out movies there, but it's more about film appreciation is the idea, not film yes. One of our lowest downloads was uh, number twenty-eight, Dead Alive. Not a lot of not a lot of fans. Of Dead one Alive. of my favorite films we did was Dead Alive. That one was <laughs> and, fucking uh, awesome. Not a lot of downloads. That's uh, too bad. We can find another another sad trailer in the pack of our of our reviews. Um, twenty-eight. Yeah. Okay. Thirty didn't seem to get a lot of them. I don't know what no, that was. Was that one of one of mine? Hard too? boiled. Hard Boiled didn't get what? a lot of fans. Hard Boiled's another one of my favorites. I was looking through all our films. Well, you know, I don't think I not I think that uh true film appreciation sort of a sort of a niche. It is. Yeah. And uh And that's what I'm sort know. of interested in. So if it all ends right. up being a niche, then so fucking be it. All right. Well, I'm trying I'm, to expand I'm, my mind, man. I'm more of a uh, popularity whore. Sadly, I always wanted to be with the popular kids, so I'm always trying to get the movies that you know give us some give us some downloads. So uh, until next week, hopefully, it may, we, TBD on biology. So until then, it's turkey, one of my favorites. <laughs>